podcast episode number six. Six it is. That was Jeremy Irons and the Rat Gang Malibus. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, they're going by a different name now, but I've talked to those guys in the past, and they are some pretty cool dudes. They let me use their music in my films, so you should definitely check them out. They just recently changed their name to J-I-R-M. Pretty solid. Pretty solid, uh, pretty solid tune. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty cool guys. Um, but... Geez. Here we are again, man. Here we are again, and it, it's it's pretty wild. I mean, we're, we're covering such a, a wide range of topics, and I feel like it's going pretty well. Um, something that people have been asking for for a while now has been uh, for us to talk about filming. And honestly, it's not something that you know I'm like really super versed with. Right. I, I'm still honestly pretty new to it. Like 2014, 2015, I bought my camera, and that's about as long as I've been filming. Yeah, I'm about the, in the same boat since about the same time, but uh, I was more with the amateur camera equipment, you know, your usual, you know, camcorder that you'd uh, film your kid's birthday party with. I was right. dragging out in the woods right. with me, you know what I mean, and trying right. to figure it out. Um, yeah, yeah I, I filmed some stuff with. Uh, with my phone, and I, I had things, you know, I was trying to prop up my, my cell phone and different things like that. But I, I think I've told the story in the past where I, uh, it was, was that 2013? I shot that, that nice buck in mm-hmm. uh, Susquehanna County, ended up scoring 140. That's the one that I, I posted recently. And before that season started, I really wanted to get some filming equipment that's right and you know i was working a couple different jobs i was part-time here and there and i hesitated with that and it bit me yeah and that it was after that i said like that was just one of my favorite experiences in a tree stand of all time and i i so wish that i had a camera to capture that right right so after that i was kind of like all right well i'm not going to miss this again right so that was what kind of prompted me to start filming and since then um i've had some pretty pretty solid encounters nothing at that magnitude well comparable but sure i mean that was just something else and uh that was really what what pushed me into bringing a camera with me every time and I think since then, if I if I look back and reflect on all the times that I've been in the woods since I started bringing a camera, I think that the camera actually has changed the way I choose my stands and the way I choose to hunt and the places that I choose to hunt. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As you, as you get into it a little bit more, you start to realize that some of your older tactics just aren't going to fly. Uh, when you're when you've got something extra in the tree with you, um, you know, kind of on the flip side, you know, if you had brought camera gear into the woods that year, I've blown a couple opportunities because I was fiddling with camera gear <laughs> and trying to figure stuff out. You know what I mean? So matter of time who knows, man? It may have been a, a different result if you tried uh, swinging a camera on that deer. You know what I mean? So things happen for a reason, but uh, it's definitely something that stimulated you to get get after it the following year. You know. I just was taken by some of the cool videos I was seeing, you know, um, whether it be hunting TV shows or, you know, social media was really starting to gain traction then. 
Um, and I was kind of taken by that. So I was like, I'm going to see if I can pull this off and started out with taking a, tur- uh, you know, taking a turkey hunting with me because blinds were legal then. And we were able to get into a blind and move a camera around. You were a lot more safer. Um, but then taking them up in a tree, man, that's a whole different ball game altogether. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's the, the one thing that you mentioned there, um, about the situation with that deer possibly ending up with a different result is something that hasn't happened yet, but I know it's coming. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's really just a matter of time. And, and I, I try to think back to, all right, so if that was my first year with a camera and I had everything set up and, and that was a, that was a strange day with the, with that deer. It was, geez, it was October, I think 18th. So I wasn't expecting that kind of reaction from a deer of that caliber that day. And it was warm and it was the afternoon and I just happened to catch him. I didn't even know it was a buck at first. Honestly, it looked, I just caught flashes of a really large animal trotting through the field. It could have been a horse for all. And I remember (laughs) he was so dark. And as soon as I saw him trotting, like he just had that movement that I knew, all right, that that's, that's, that's a buck. I grabbed the horns, hit him together. He came right over. But the way he came charging in, I don't know if I would have been able to swing that camera straight down, get it focused, draw the bow. I, I highly doubt it, honestly. Right. Unless I had a camera that was autofocusing, which I don't normally film with. Right, yeah. But the fact that that, that happened and it really kind of lit a fire for you uh, is kind of what led you where you are now. So that's yeah. it's kind of cool how that happens. Um, you know, I've, I don't have, I haven't had a lot of success. I've had some really cool moments filming. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, it's more of a hobby for me than anything. Um, but, you know, it's amazing how much you learn if you really f- find something you enjoy and you start to really research. And, I mean, I, I say it all the time, YouTube University, man. There's so much information on, on how to manage camera gear, how to research the kind of cameras you want, uh, what lenses are good for what, uh, and even how to operate the manual aspect of a camera, which I was never really... Privy to, I never knew any of that. I was always auto everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you know how it is when you've got a, something, a, an animal moving through the, the trees and everything's focusing on the limb in front of you or whatever and your target's blurry, that's when manual focus is clutch. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you learn all that and getting out there and doing it is really the greatest teacher, man. I've learned tremendous amounts by just getting out there and messing up, honestly. Yeah. Um, the first time... That I brought a camera with me into the woods. It was turkey season, and it was Brian's camera, and Brian had magic lantern set up on his camera. Okay, yep. Which is, I'm honestly like not hack. even sure how it works. It, it, yeah, it's basically like a, a hack, and I think you set it up on your SD card. It's not actually on the camera. Excuse me, and. It was basically a way to manipulate the camera into being able to manipulate the ISO and the F-stop. Mm-hmm. And it, <laughs> so as somebody who was filming for the first time, I remember it was just starting to get light out, and I had the camera set up, and I could not get a picture on it. And I'm texting Brian, and it, it is, it's like 4.30 in the morning, <laughs> 5, and I'm like, what, do, what, 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 what am I doing? Like, I can't get a picture. And eventually I, I hit enough buttons and figured it out. But yeah. it, it, and it's, it's still something that I'm not 
you know, super privy to because now with with my, the camera I have now, I pretty much got it set up. You know, I could do what I need to do with it. But as as far as having the really technical, in-depth knowledge, as far as, you know, ISO and, and your F-stop goes, I, I'm just... Uh, I'm not really where I need to be. Right, uh, right. There's definitely more for me to learn, and and you you did hit a good point. There's endless amounts of material on YouTube that will teach you everything you need to know. Yeah, that's honestly where, I, especially with the manual settings and stuff like that, like what is ISO, what what f-stop is best for what, and depth of field, and you know how to get cinematic looks, and you know whatever mm-hmm. you want to really get into. There's tremendous amount of uh, of information there, um, but you know doing research on products. I mean, there are so many, I've been researching a new camera lately and you know, my goodness, there's so many options out there, but to narrow it down, uh, makes it much easier than, you know, old school going through catalogs or going to a, you know, a page, uh, was that there's a big camera group out there. It's a big, uh, online camera shop and you know, you have to go through uh, endless be a B and H or B and H. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. It's like, you can kind of narrow it down through your search, but man, it, it really made it tremendously easier to figure out what style of camera, whether it's a uh, regular DSLR or a micro four thirds with a mirrorless, there's just so many terminology. There's so much that's terminology a, to throw yeah. around. I mean, that's a big discussion in its own. If, if you want to get into it and, and you you want to have longevity and like really, let's say, <laughs> get in slowly. Yeah, I would suggest getting a camcorder. Yeah, because that's kind of your f- most foolproof method. Mm-hmm. Because you can get uh, what is that called the 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 Verizoom. Yeah, it's like a little controller you can put right on the uh, the camera arm where you can zoom and focus with the little controller. Absolutely. And I, that it, and I've wished I had those numerous times, especially yeah. if you're on the ground, you know, and you, you want to limit your movements. Yeah, I, I haven't done much filming from the ground. Well, with turkeys I have um, to a degree, but I, I cheat with that. I, you know, z- zoom in and focus on my, my decoy, and then I've kind mm-hmm. of got the, the distance figured out. But um, when I first started filming, I was a big fan of the uh, – bowhunting.com guys uh, oh yeah, yeah. die and all those guys have the same setup and it, it you can tell that they kind of had something tailored ready to go to tell these guys how to do what they're doing because they all had the same setup pretty much and they mm-hmm. were all you know pretty much camcorders and there was one guy filming with dslrs and he's kind of broken away on his own since then but i, th- I think now they're kind of moving towards that but um uh, yeah, for a while they were all camcorders, and uh, they had the control. I can't remember what the name of that controller is that goes on the uh, the camera arm. I think it's like a Vera Zoom. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about because you can zoom in, zoom out. You can hit record. You can right. do all that stuff. You have some options that are. It's like a wired remote, and uh, right. it goes right on the the arm for the uh, for your whether it be your tripod or your camera arm. Uh, makes cuts down on the movement for yeah. sure. And and they they make those for DSLRs. But they're just like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So more than the DSLR. (laughs) Absurd. But I think that if if I was able to start filming with a DSLR, I really think anyone can do it. I mean, 
I'm not some great white hunter. I think anyone can honestly do that. But the one thing that I learned is that you need to kind of alter your hunting style to accommodate for filming. Oh, absolutely. So, so it's, it's a give and take. I mean, I, I, I tell so many people now that I, I feel like my stands are more destination stands. It's somewhere that a deer is coming and they're coming there with the intent to get to this spot. Right, right. And to elaborate on that, it's it's an apple tree or it's a scrape mm-hmm. or it's a, a stream crossing. Sure. It's something. Good funnel spot, yeah. It's something that the deer is going there specifically for that purpose. Mm-hmm. And scrapes are a huge part of that. Sure. Especially mock scrapes. I've really gotten into that. I've expererimented with, you know, different scents and drippers and yeah, my that's own, something I'm not looking yeah, to this my year, own urine from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. you know you know what? My dad always brought a milk jug with him, always pissed in the milk jug, never ever urinated out of the stand. And I was always a big believer of that. Now I, after the last couple of years, and I started playing with mock scrapes and urinating in the scrape, it, it works. I don't. They, I've heard they, other people say that before. I don't have any personal experience with it, but they they can't tell the difference. The one of the best mock scrapes I ever set up was I started it with my own urine because it was it was a new food plot. And, and I have the footage of all this. I have it all documented. But I started the scrape with my own urine, and it was one of the best mock scrapes I ever set up. No it kidding. just got hammered. But then again, it was in a spot where it was probably going to get hit regardless. Like, it looks like in the past it had been hit, you know, and there, sure. there were a bunch of rubs around it. So it was inevitable was that— an heirloom scrape? <laughs> yeah, there, there were going to be buck in the area regardless. Right, right. But my, my urine didn't bother them at all. If anything, you know, I think it kind of, uh, it, I don't know. Intrigued them maybe. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> we got a. Uh, Aldo's making an appearance. Yeah, of course. Spot. Everyone loves Aldo. <laughs> Rightfully so, right, buddy? Yeah, good boy. Yeah, you know, I, that's something I want to get into. I mean, I've never really messed with it before. I mean, I've used some cover scents and I've used some drag scents and stuff like that, but, uh. You know, the one property that I'm really hitting hard um, this year, there's some good opportunities, some areas where I'm like, man, this would be perfect for a mock scrape. Yeah. Um, I set out one last year, but I just didn't really research it well enough. And it just, I went back to check it, it was covered in leaves. So I was like, well, yeah, that's not, it's just bad, bad idea. So I did some more research and kind of figured I did something wrong there. So I'm like, all right, I got to look into this a little bit better. But I found another spot where I think I'm really going to focus on it. It's a wall crossing, a stone wall crossing. Yeah. And, man, it's so heavy in there. I'm like, that's probably going to be a much better location. Um, I mean, there was plenty of deer passing through the spot that I, I did it last time, but it was – I had them on trail camera, but they weren't stopping. They just kept on going on. And they just didn't show any interest in it. So that's right. something I want to kind of mess with a little bit this year. And and that'd be that's, that's a great point, though, to – you know, focus your attention on, like you said, a destination stand. Uh, because again, you know, when you're lugging all that gear in, man, you need more time to get all the stuff up and set up. Uh, you need, you know, 
a tree that's going to not be not too, you know, one of the things I had was uh, the tree was too big. I got it all set up. I went to put my strap around it to put my uh, too big arm up, and the, it wouldn't reach. Yep. I was like two inches short. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So I couldn't film. And I saw a bunch of deer that night, and I didn't get a shot at anything, but it was one of those things where you learn these things as you get in there and, like I said, kind of mess up a little bit, yeah. you know. Yeah, two inches short, story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that people realize how particular, I mean, at least I end up getting when it comes to hunting. Like Somebody asked me, if, even if it's a, a sudden occurrence where I can hunt the next day, yeah, I might not be ready. Right, right. I might not have my camera charged. I might not have the GoPro charged. I might not have all my lenses in the same bag. I might not have the bag that I carry my camera bag clean and ready to go. <laughs> Aldo is being super needy today. Yeah, he's go on lay fire. down. Go on. But there, there's so many different things that the camera gear can restrict me from doing. Sure. And I, I've kind of made that stance that I'm not going unless I'm taking a camera because right. I know that that time that I don't take it is going to be the time that I wish I took it. Right, right. So all in all, at, when when I have everything packed and ready to go, I bet it's close to 40 extra pounds. That oh, I'm no take. kidding. Yeah, it's I, a lot more than I carry with me. That's yeah, sure. I, w- I would bet um, with the, the, the base. I, I, right now I'm using the muddy... The silent strap yep. system. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, it is. That a, that base is, is heavier. huge. Yeah, it's the a base is arm. really big. It probably weighs ten pounds on its own. The the camera arm and the and the the base. And then I've got the bag that the camera's in, and then a couple lenses. It it's way more than anyone needs to carry in the woods. Right. Which is that's it, usually the case though. Yeah. And uh, the way I carry that is, I've got the camera, in it's in a camera bag. And then I've got the camera bag in a backpack that I carry. And it's a, it's a backpack that my wife actually bought me. It's just a canvas bag. Okay. You, you see it in a lot of the, the videos like and the pictures. Like the rucksack type. Uh... Yeah, that's pretty much it. There's there's no stability or, or form to it, and it kills my back. <laughs> but it, it seems to be the way that I could work the most efficiently. Right. Because once I hang that bag on a strap... I could get right into it and get everything I need out of sure. it. And the way I pack it, you know, I know where everything is. It's like a layer. Like the first thing I bring out is the, is the base, put that on the tree, and you, you get pretty good at this in the dark to the point where, like, I've timed myself and I could set up in, like, eight minutes. And That's try not to be, bad. Yeah. Because it, it can get tedious. To, it, to strap everything in, then you're you know fiddling with a strap, then you don't like the way that it's positioned, you got to undo it and move it a little bit, and again those are the things you learn as you go. But uh, I've gotten it down to a pretty good process, but uh, yeah, I still struggle with it a little bit. But uh, you know I have a, a a muddy camera arm as well, but it's a uh, a smaller one. It was a much less expensive one, but what I did was I modified it. So I went and bought some square tubing at Home Depot, okay. and they made it much larger with some wing nuts and some you know, yeah. little nylon washers yeah, and stuff. Ingenuity, And yeah. it really made it much easier to manipulate because it's so much longer that I can bow it out around me yeah. and still move it around so that if I have to move a shot from my right to my left it's not in the way of my bow right because i learned that the hard way where i yeah. wanted to shoot at a doe and i couldn't get the camera around because just the arm wasn't big enough so 
Yeah, I've, uh, I actually have avoided that after seeing, it was Todd Graff from Bowhunter Die. I, I've learned so many different little tips and tricks from YouTube videos, especially Bowhunter Die. One of the biggest ones is the Field Archer. I don't know oh, if yeah. you've ever seen this Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, Sam you turned me on to him, actually. Yeah, Sam Shaver, he is so surgical with his procedure and setup. It, he, he really is. He's like a surgeon. Like, he he always has everything in tight, and yeah. he, it's, it's militant, and he is just next level with it. And he he's from New Jersey, so, I mean, I, I'm not totally privy to all their, all their laws down there, but it's like a deer a day or something like that, or doe. You, it's... It's unreal. You could shoot a ton of deer, and he he donates them all, which is awesome. Right. But uh, the more you watch, the more you, you, you learn how people set up their their camera arm on the tree mm-hmm. and, and what side they put it on, if you're right-handed, left-handed, the be- the best way that it works for you. But, uh, I, yeah, that, that one buck that Todd Graff shot, he ended up swinging – the camera arm all the way around him, almost past him, and he was sitting down, and he still made the shot. So, it's definitely something you need to consider even before you decide to hunt the stand. Because I set up stands now, and I think, all right, am I going to put the camera arm on the tree that my stand is on, or is there something else that I could hang it on? Right. A lot of times, the tree splits. You put it on. You know, the absolutely. Tree. I've done that as well. In fact, the first setup I ever did, I was fortunate to have another tree right next to me, and I actually had the the setup coming almost towards me, yeah. so that I can move it around either way of the tree. I can move it and far that's left nice. or far right, but you don't always have that option. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. I I had a killer setup this year in a in a new stand, um, and I'll I'll post some of the footage from it. But it was two trees that came out of the base of one, and they grew perfectly parallel right next to each other, and it was perfect. Because I could put the the base right on the tree next to me, but I can put it at an angle where I could still get the shot in between the two trees behind me. Nice. I could still draw my bow there. So, I mean, there's a lot of things you need to consider, and that's one of those things that I feel like I've gotten better at in the past couple of years is kind of being uh, a type of architect when you're picking out a stand location right you know and then you're not only considering how you're going to put the camera on the tree you're going to you're trying to consider all right well where's the shot going to be right where you're anticipating a shot and i i still feel that that was one of the best stands i set up in recent years was the that one i was just telling about with the the two trees that kind of parallel each other i had two scrapes in front of me along a trail and and i had a shot behind me and in front of me, and it, it's tough. It's tough to come along a setup like that. It, it really is. I mean, you, you'll 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 come across places that you want to hunt, and then trying to find the right way to hunt that, if you want to film, is it's tricky. It's no a doubt. different game. It is. It is, and that's like that's that's one of the things that I enjoy about it, is it changes it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. It really makes you come at it from, and not to say that it got stale, but it was, you know, you get into an area and all you're worried about hanging a stand, you're looking at the wind, you're looking at the trail, you're looking at distance, you know, shot distance and so many variables. Right. There's, yeah. there's a lot of them out there, but they're always very similar. When you throw filming into the mix, man, 
a whole new set of variables comes in. You right. know what I mean? And it's uh, yep. it's really cool. It's a lot of fun. And you know, it I always say there's times where I just I'm dragging everything I'm like, man, I really don't want to do all this today. I just want to go hunt. Yeah. You know, and I'm like I know if I just like you I'm not going to bring my stuff and I'm going to wish I did. So I do. I drag it out. I make it a point to take it out. And I, when I say I drag it out, like it's this big task. You know, I do. It, it, I still it love is it. a big task. Though. Right. It, it is. But to I, mean, get I still enjoy it. And... Yeah. That's it. You got to be on top of that. And oh, man, the biggest mistake that I've made, and I've made it several times, is forgetting to put the SD card back Ooh. in the camera. Yeah. <laughs> man. I had a hen last year. 10 yards from me and she walked around in front of me clucking and purring and yeah. yelping for 20 minutes and I had no SD card in my camera. Yeah. I got none of it. I was so angry. Um, yeah, it happens. I've done that twice actually um, and I had to film on my phone pretty much. That was yeah. all I had. I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a time that I I really messed up. I, I, I think I'm pretty uh, vigilant when it comes to camera equipment. Well, that's one of those mistakes you figure you'd only make once until yeah. you do it again. <laughs> yeah. I have like, a... all right, that's it. I got more SD cards than I can deal with now. I've got them in my pack. I've got them in the bag. I've got them everywhere. So Yeah, I've got a little yeah. wallet of SD cards that, that's yep. in my camera bag. I've got one extra, and then I've got one extra, and then I've got another extra. Mm -hmm. Like, the the saying, you know how it goes. One is none. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Two, is, two one. is one. And uh, that's kind of what I try to follow. But even with that, I mean, the, someday I might get it all set up and go to turn the camera on, and it's just not turning on. Like, who knows? I sure. have had to send my camera back before. So Well, you know, we, we, we don't exactly have tropical weather in this state either. Yeah. Um, that can be a bit of a factor uh, when you're taking this sensitive gear out yep. and uh, strapping it in a tree, and it's 5 degrees out with a negative 10 wind chill, and it's sleeting sideways. And we yeah. look at that last year, that turkey season we had last year. I got um, poured on yeah, one day. Yeah, we got dumped on, you know. And but I'll tell you what, I, I was ready for that. I have uh, one of those tree umbrellas. I brought it yeah, with me. Yeah, I've been looking at those because I'm I, trying to figure something out to protect the gear because, I mean, I lost a cell phone in that storm last mm -hmm. year. It, just, it was so wet. We were drenched. Um, but I don't know how Damien managed to save two camcorders. Um, he didn't get them ruined at all. And he yeah. still managed to get great footage um, that day that we that I missed that bird. It still haunts me. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's tough. Battery length, you know, the battery life. You get cold weather, it zaps your batteries. Yep. Uh, so you got to think about that. Like, am I going to need extra batteries? One trick that I found was really cool um, was I think I think I learned it from uh, Banded Nation. I watch a lot of waterfowl hunting okay. shows sometimes, and they hunt in some hardcore weather, and they throw hand warmers in their bags just to keep the the batteries somewhat warm. It yeah. prevents them from um, dying too quick. So I always have a couple extra hand warmers, and I'll keep my batteries in the pocket with the hand warmer. That's and an stuff. awesome idea. Yeah, it just I've helps. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it, it helps keep the batteries from – because that cold, man, it'll just zap them. You know, right. you might get 35, 40 minutes off a, off a battery. It, that shut drink brings it down to 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, and... I, get, uh, I get hammered on my cell phone battery a lot. I, I don't know if it's just the iPhone or if it's it, – because the phone is older, yeah. but it goes quick. I could have 35% battery sometimes, and in the cold, drops, it's yep. gone. That's you it. Know? You know, I mean, it comes down to, like, running out. Like, when I'm, if I'm going to use my cell phone, um, if I don't have to do any texting or anything like that, if I don't have to, which I try not to do too much of because, you know, for obvious reason, when you're hunting, you're hunting. Um, but I try to run in airplane mode. Yeah. Um, I yeah. have a, a little microphone that attaches into the uh, – 
microphone or the uh, headphone jack on my camera. Right. And it works as almost like an external mic, and it's a really cool little unit. But uh, if you're not in airplane mode, the microphone will actually pick up on your phone searching for a signal, and it gives like this buzzing sound. Ooh. So I have to run in airplane mode, otherwise I get that buzzing. Yeah. So you know, but that helps to save battery life. Right. You know, because you're not, it's not searching for a signal. You're not running a bunch of apps in the background, so that helps kind of cut down on battery. So those are some of the little tips and tricks that I use uh, when I'm out in the field to kind of help save on battery life. Yeah, I th- I think this coming season I'm going to uh, be running. Uh, I think it's the Dark Energy, the charger. Oh Is yeah, the Poseidon. Cool. Poseidon, yes. It's not bad. It's it's somewhere around a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And it will provide like 15 charges no kidding. for like the typical cell phone. And it, it it's just a USB port. So if you've got something that could charge off a of USB, mm-hmm. which I mean most equipment can now, sure. that's uh, that's the way to go. Yeah. And I think that's what, uh, what I'm going to look into. Uh, yeah, I have an older one that's similar to that. And man, I take it out in the woods with me all the time. Yeah, I've got a, a couple smaller ones. I think it's called a Halo charger. They're like mm-hmm. they're, they're like little sticks, and I've got two of them. Right. And they'll they'll charge the phone once, and then they're dead. They're yeah, done. this one I with my I used to have a Samsung Note Five, and I could charge it five or six times on that thing, full charges on it before it ran. But it took it takes forever to recharge. Mm-hmm. That's the downside. I have to plug it in overnight to get it to right. recharge. Yeah. Uh, but it has a one amp and a two amp plug on it, so you can actually fast charge it, uh, your phone on it, which is pretty cool. Right. And I think it was like sixty bucks. That was like four years ago three or four years ago and i bought it but it's all dented and dinged up and the paint's worn off of it yeah. so yeah, i've got my money's worth out of it but yeah. yeah that thing's priceless when your phone starts dying you can just plug in the jack um i have like a little almost almost like a selfie stick that i put my phone on right and uh i can actually run the wire right to the thing on the selfie stick and i just strap it on there with a little zip tie and nice and uh it kind of looks a little crazy but you know it's not you, in the pictures so. you, you kind of have to be a little bit of a MacGyver, yeah. I, I think at times because I mean there there are times that I had to take like my saw to my pack and mm-hmm. you know notch out you know where a branch was at something sure. to make like you know your base fit smoothly on yeah. a tree. There, there's just a, a lot that people don't realize. You know, there's so many factors at play, and uh, the the one thing that I'm looking that I think I I might be able to improve is. I've been considering how many pounds I've been lugging around with me, and the muddy is so heavy that 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 base. Um, I've been considering going to Fourth Arrow. Yeah, I, I I've had so many people message me about the about their equipment and ask me if I have any experience with it. I have nothing, but from what I hear, they are pretty sweet. They're, and they're a good group of guys too, man. I spoke with them down at the uh, sports show in mm-hmm. Harrisburg. And I mean, I talked to them for probably 35, 40 minutes. And yeah. I just hung out in the booth and they're showing me all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, they have like a lot of monopod systems now that are built for in a blind. Right. Um, they have the, the tripod system is really nice. They have slider systems. They have all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, people think of fourth arm who are familiar with them. They think of just the tree arm. Yeah. Um, they've got different levels and sizes of tree arm. Um, the, your standard aluminum, I, th- I think it was aluminum that they had it made out of, but now they have carbon arms. Yeah, the carbon uh, ones have to be so light. They're ridiculously light. I mean, I think they weigh about two and a half, three pounds. That would make uh, my the, life so much easier. The fluid heads that they have are not top-notch, but they're very adequate. 
I mean, they're very yeah. adequate, and they they feel nice. They're smooth. They're small. They're not big and bulky. Yeah, I mean, so uh, they really put together a solid product, man. I was really impressed with not only the product but the guys that sell it. And for, the guys at the show are the ones you see on YouTube on you right. know, any of the promo videos they put out. Yeah. It's the same guys, so smaller company still. Yeah, I mean, and for most people, all you need some is something that is serviceable. You know, yeah. we're, we're we're not. No one is the next Jim Shockey. Oh, so, absolutely. So I mean, as long as you get something that works, I would love to get a lighter fluid head. My yeah. fluid head, I, I have. Uh, I don't even know. It, it's right there. What what is the that? Manfrotto? It's a Manfrotto, yeah. but it's like I paid way too much for it, and it is so heavy because I think it's there's actually some kind of fluid component in sure. it. Sure. It is so heavy. Well, the fluid heads are they and make, I dropped it, it, out make of the it smooth. Yeah. Well, mine's getting a little janky, I guess is the best term, because it's got a little bit of a skip in it. Yeah. So when I go to turn it, there's like a almost if your steering wheel gets a little play in it, it's very right. similar. It has some play and then it hits the fluid head and it gets smoother. So it's not it's not the end of the world, but it's it's definitely showing its wear. But I've had that in the woods for four years now i've been dragging that thing out so yeah. i mean i've got camouflage duct tape all over the thing that's the I mean, other thing uh, I, I i should camo mine my every everything i have is black but the mm-hmm. the muddy is starting to get chipped and yeah well the mine was silver i mean it was a yeah. it was a really good tripod it's a uh, i think it was a monfrotto uh tripod and the fluid had that mashed up, but it was a buddy who gave it to me. It was a very expensive setup, but a friend of mine just gave it to me. He didn't use it. He didn't know what to do with it. I think a friend of his gave it to him for helping him move, and he's like, I don't know what to do with this. He's like, I know Jay plays with cameras, so right. you want it? I'm like, yeah, and I researched it. It was like a $400 setup that he just gave me. I was nice. like, sweet. But, you know, I beat it up. I take yeah. it out in the field a lot and beat it up. And, you know, you don't really need a big tripod. You don't need a great camera. I mean, I've taken some great footage on my cell phone. Yeah, one of the coolest things I own is a little cell phone gimbal, and that yeah. thing is amazing. Yeah, I mean, you've showed me that. It is pretty sweet. You get professional. It does not shake. It's super steady, real smooth. It has little controls on it. You can pan left, right, up, down with a little joystick. And I mean, geez, I think even the DJI one was was the top notch, high end one, or down to two hundred bucks. Yeah. So for a fraction of what a real expensive camera would cost you, you could run your cell phone like a professional rig. I mean, it really makes a huge difference. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options out there. But again, do the research. You know, hit up yeah. YouTube, figure out what your goal is first off. And then you can tailor suit your your rig to, uh, you know, what your goals are. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, it, last year I I picked up uh, a stabilizer, and it was essentially supposed to mimic what you're saying that uh, the stabilizer for your cell phone did. Mm-hmm. It it was it, it's tough though because it it's all manual and it's controlled with weights. Okay, yeah, I'm familiar it, with it. And it was one of those things that was, you know, I saw it for like 80 bucks and I, I saw the video and I was like, I could probably make that work. Yeah, for certain shots, I'm sure it's great. But it, yeah, I, I used it a little bit last year, but it is tough. And now they're pretty much out with the uh, the technology that I can buy like a stabilizer for my, my DSLR, DSLR yeah. that will do the same thing. Yeah, Zune is a company that makes them, Z-H-I-U-N or something. It's a Japanese company that makes them and... They're just like the high-end ones, and like the, that's the the gimbal I bought for myself on yeah. Zune, and I think I paid 130 bucks for it. I think it was or something like that. I think that's where they run, and uh, the the DJI one was like almost 300. Now they're way down. You can get uh, Zune for 99 bucks. Yeah, uh, and then they make one that's for the 
DSLRs, that's around two or three hundred bucks. Which, considering what the product is, that's pretty that's pretty inexpensive. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those DSLR gimbals can run you two, three, two, three thousand dollars. Right. And you want to know? I just had a thought right here. I've thought about this for such a long time. I'm gonna change the self-filming game right now. If Tacticam or any other company could come out with this, it will change everything. If you can put a 4K camera on the end of my stabilizer on a gimbal and mm. compensate for the angle, the shot angle, it's over. Every, <laughs> everyone is going to be able to film the perfect shot every time because there will be no shock. There will be no shake. And, man, with the technology that's out it's here, 4K. That's cool. Yeah, of course it's doable. Like, you, DJI can put one of those on a thing that on I can drone. fly yeah. <laughs> 800 yards away from me. Right. We can put it on the end of a stabilizer, and you can sight your bow in. So even to compensate for the angle, look what Garmin's doing right now. Garmin, do this. Tacticam, do this. Somebody please do this. Seriously, that, that's, that, that's a pretty cool. Uh, that's a pretty cool idea. And if it's 4K, you're you're zooming in. Sure, you can zoom right in. Was it a thousand times or something? Yep. What's, the, what's the the ratio on 4K? It's something ridiculous. A lot compared to 1080p. Yeah, you could zoom in x amount. Like it it would it would change the the self filming game. Indeed. But no one will listen to me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you better get on your engineering degree, man. Yeah, I I've written a DJI. I've written a GoPro. I've written a Garmin. I've written rent to every company but if if somebody could just do that it's game over sure who, I'm sure who wouldn't who wouldn't put that on the end of their bow if it's not going to take anything That's if you I could mean. control it from your phone sure you know or even put a little joystick the way they have it now i had to yeah. put a joystick right on the side of your handle the yep. grip i mean you know i'm sure it wouldn't be terribly cheap but i mean if somebody can put a 900 sight on their bow yeah there's no way that they're not going to put a 4k camera on them right. to see exactly where their arrow went mm -hmm. boy that's a that's a that's a good debate on technology and what's too much <laughs> we think we've talked touched on that a little bit in the past yeah it, it's it, it'll happen i guarantee cool, somebody will do it I yeah mean, that's what i mean maybe maybe one of the 100 people that listen to this podcast I know, will right do it. yeah they work for uh, dji yeah i i would and then you'll be all set I think that everyone that listens to this should, you know. We'll start a hashtag movement. <laughs> hashtag movement, tag DJI, GoPro, Tacticam. The guys from Tacticam should be all over this. Telling I mean, this you, is wide they're, open they're into market. that whole uh, stabilizer shot thing anyway. I don't understand how this is not technology already for yeah. us to have. Yeah, you, you never know. It might be in the works. It'll be at uh, next year's. Uh, ATA or yep. something like that. Yeah, who knows. But that brings us way past half an hour. First half is already It's amazing how that happens. Done. Yeah. We just get BS and then we crush it. I wouldn't say we crush it, but we talk for sure. But we'll wrap this up, and then we will uh, come back with something or another in the second half of this. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we might have a beer. A beer uh... Oh, yeah, we got to talk about some beer. We've had a... We'll review brewing here. One, no two, and I've had a few. So we'll uh, we'll get back and we'll talk about that in a little bit.
We are back. You're recording. We are. You're good. All right. Let's uh, talk a little bit about what we're drinking today. Yeah, ripe from uh, Peak Organic Peak Brewing Company. Organic, all organic ingredients, locally sourced. That's our thing. I'm into it. Um, the beer is pretty good. It's uh, I'm I'm trying to put it lightly. It's not my favorite, but it's pretty good beer. Absolutely. I mean, this is I think the first time uh, since we've been doing this that it's the second time I've had this beer. I mean, most of them, it was the first time trying them here on the podcast. So, uh, yeah, this is the second time I've had it. I really liked it. Uh, it's uh, It's got almost like a I, I hate, I hesitate to use the term grapefruity flavor. Yeah. But I, that's a yeah, yeah. kind of way to put it across because I don't like grapefruit, but I really like this. Well, when the flavor of grapefruit, I think, comes into play with any IPA, it's weird how it mixes with the natural bitterness of like of of hops sure you know what i mean so i i've, I've read reviews on this beer where people said that they got like a chemical taste which mm-hmm. is ironic because i mean it's an peak, organic beer yeah peak <laughs> thing is like no chemicals like right. nothing out of the ordinary like locally sourced all organic and and people say it has a chemical taste and i and i kind of understand where that comes mm-hmm. from because that first sip is pretty pungent yeah you know what i mean it 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 definitely has but i i think it's like kind of the the bitterness of it it, it is kind of bitter a little bit a little bit i've had worse for sure um but yeah and, and the bitterness kind of stays through the end like yeah. towards the finish there which is yeah it's got a very unique color to it the after is kind of cool i i honestly love the color because like if it's like right next to the can yeah, yeah, good it's point. like I they that. they nailed the color of the can in the beer, <laughs> like it's a, it's like it matches and it's that hazy orangey color, and when you first pour it, it's pretty frothy, which I like. I like a nice frothy uh, beer, but this is supposed to be a dry hopped double IPA. I'm a big fan of the double IPA, but uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, you get grapefruit out of it. I, I could see that. Um, I think maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe like a little bit of pineapple. Mm-hmm. Okay, that. yeah, there, there's, there's There's different hints of citrus, but it's... It's good stuff, man. One mm-hmm. thing it does not have, though, is, is an overwhelming aroma. I didn't really notice that. I mean, one of the first things I started yeah. doing was like hey, taking a good whiff of it. And some of the beers we've had, I mean, you open up the bottle and, man, you can smell it before you even pour it. Yeah. Um, not that it's a bad thing, but this is a, a little more mild on that end of the spectrum. But, uh, yeah, very pleased with it. It's very, it's a very refreshing, refreshing beer. It's not too heavy. Yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I don't know, what's the right way to say this? I, would, I wouldn't not recommend it. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, if somebody was saying, should I pick up this beer? Yeah, yeah grab it. I mean. It, it 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 is pretty good. It's it's not my favorite, but it is still definitely. Out of one to ten, where would you put it? One to ten. Ten being what? Hop slam. We'll we'll say <laughs> yeah. We'll say ten's hop slam. Your favorite. I'd probably put this one at like a six nine, almost a seven. All right. Somewhere in that range. Oh, we're getting into decimals. I dig it. 
Yeah, well, you can't have rookie <laughs> scores here. You know how it is. One Indeed. bite, everyone knows the rules. That's right. But yeah, I would, th- I would say somewhere in there, like a, a six, nine, seven. Like it's solid, but it does have that little bit of a strange. It it, it kind of hits you right it does. at first. Yeah, that was but, one of the first things I noticed about when I when I had it at home. But the one thing that I I tell everyone when it comes to an IPA, a double IPA doesn't matter. You got to take more than one sip. Yep. A lot of people have that first sip and then ugh, it hits them in the face. But your palate adjusts, and then you have another sip, and it will taste completely different. This beer, especially, yeah. I think. Yeah, After, yeah, I'd agree with you. I'd, I'd I'd go right around a seven or so of all the IPs I have. Yeah, I mean, Hop Slam is my favorite. I think I think it's my favorite. I look for it every time I'm at uh, any of the places yeah, I always look to see you, if it's there. You'll never find it. <laughs> But uh, that's encouraging. Be, be, actually, be, before this beer that we opened up, we had the the Scorpion Bowl IPA from Stone. From Stone, yeah. Which was interesting. Uh, again, that's like two beers tonight that are not really my favorite. Right. They were they were fine. Fine's <laughs> a good way of putting it. They were they were fine. They were fine. You know, they they did what they had to do. The the Scorpion Bowl very clear, very golden mm-hmm. IPA, very dry. I thought. Yeah, I didn't think there were a lot of hints of citrus or anything really. Yeah, there. this is a far stretch from that. This this ripe from peak. Pretty straight up IPA as far as the Scorpion Bowl goes, but this this definitely has a lot more going on, more intricate flavors. It it kind of changes as it sits. It's uh, it's something. You know, I I I would recommend it. I, the, you're not gonna find many beers that I'm gonna taste and go, oh my god, awful. Yeah, don't yeah. drink don't drink this you. beer, you know. <laughs> but uh, good stuff. Yeah, yeah good I, I think that's uh, that's a pretty thorough review of that beer. It's it's good. It, it, you know, it's it's pretty. Isn't it? I'd, I'd I'd get it again. Yeah, it's not bad. But uh, we'll get off the beer topic now, and we will move into uh, something I think might be a little different for a podcast. Um, we're going to get into a, an article that you wrote that I think is super relevant for this time of the year. Yeah. Honestly, for any time of the year. Because it kind of – I'm just I'm just going to let you <laughs> let you read it. Yeah, and, it's, uh, it's something that I put out a while back. It was more of – I guess it's an article. It's a short article, more of a statement type deal of, uh, you know – way social media has kind of come along and we're, we're kind of in the public eye a lot more as hunters, uh, fishermen, sportsmen in general. And, um, you know, you, you, the more, more time you spend on social media, the more time you'll, st- you'll understand where this is coming from. Um, it, it's kind of wrote a little statement more about uh, the way we present ourselves in social media with our images. You know, yeah. Because spring turkey's coming, uh, yep. trout season's coming. Uh, there's a lot of outdoor activities coming down the pipeline in the next couple of weeks that, uh, you know, a lot of us who spend a lot of time in the outdoors, um, we don't think much of it. You know, take a picture of uh, your buddy with his dead turkey or, you know, you catch a nice trout and you want to lay him on the bank and take a mm-hmm. picture, you know. That's great for all of us who are uh, outdoorsmen and we're, we're, you know, we're used to that type of stuff. Yeah. You know, we've acclimated to that type of thing. But sure. not everybody, you know, is. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to kind of read it. Honestly, that's probably the best way to, to, yeah. to go about it. Uh, 
You see, it's, uh, it's that time of year again. Spring's here, and with it comes trout fishing, turkey hunting, as well as many outdoor activities. If you're anything like me, your social media network includes many individuals who do not hunt or fish. Uh, as sportsmen and women, we have a responsibility to represent our community the best we can. Posting pictures of our query with a positive message of what we get from the time spent engaging our chosen sport can help bridge the gap between us and those unfamiliar with it. Uh, conversely, uh, an image in poor taste, such as a turkey lying lifeless covered in blood, can have an extremely negative impact on those same people despite the message. As hunters, we occupy a small percentage, around 7% of the overall population. So we owe it to each other to shine a positive light on our craft. Take the time to clean up and pose the animal or fish in a respectful manner. Pay attention to the surroundings and even the light source. A beautiful picture can be very powerful in demonstrating our reverence for the creatures we love to pursue. Uh, and it followed up with a good luck to all the sportsmen and women this spring. Be safe in your chosen activities and treat each other with respect. Take a child with you and expose them to the outdoors. Share your successes and apologize for nothing. Take ownership in promoting our heritage and set an example of integrity, because if not us, then who? And uh, I usually post that every spring right around this time to kind of set that message. Because uh, a lot of people, like I said, they don't think about it because they're thinking about their hunting buddies who are going to see it. They're not thinking about Aunt Martha, who mm -hmm. hates you seeing you kill Bambi, and they see the picture of the trout with the blood coming out of the gills or whatever, you know, any kind of imagery like that that can be perceived as barbaric or offensive and uh I, I think if we take a minute and pay attention to that uh we're gonna have a much greater impact on the people who are you know there's a there's two ends of the spectrum you know we've got the anti-hunters and we've got us who participate in in the outdoors um and all those people in between they can be swayed one way or the other pretty easily and there's a lot of propaganda out there from the other side that are really trying to sway those people in their direction. So, you know, all we're doing is really helping the anti-hunters out and those people who really are hard-nosed hard against what we do and what we enjoy to do. Um, you know, we're just helping them out when we put up a really gnarly picture. And, you know, you see it every once in a while with people who are more so in the public eye. Um, you know, celebrity hunters, air quotes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we see a lot of these guys who are putting up stuff that it's like, man, what are you thinking? Right. You know, and, and right. that, those we're just regular guys. Now, not saying they're superheroes, but you know, they have a much greater spotlight on them, and they're posting pictures that are shining a negative light on us all. Yeah. You know, so yeah. if everyone just takes half a minute to take a, to consider that before they start posting those pictures of their their turkey kill or their, you know, their trout limit or what have you um it might just avoid that one confrontational aspect that's going to send somebody the other way of the spectrum you know yeah yeah and uh i see it all the time and i i i kind of feel that i look at things in a different light you know i i don't want to say i'm younger but i'm def i'm definitely from a different generation than the hunting community is used to. If, if you probably look at the average age of, you know, people who are heavily involved, the average age of the hunting community, you would think it's a little bit older. 20 to, yeah, well, yeah, you guess you're right. I'd say like 35 to 65 is the, the, the thickest part of the community. Uh, but, you know, the, the new breed of hunter that's coming up, the whole 20 to 35 uh, demographic 
it's an Instagram world, man. Right. It's a it's a social media world. And as far as that goes, I mean, I see a lot of posts where I look at it and I think, why? Like, mm-hmm. why, why why would you post that? You know, it, it, you're putting a target on your back. Well, that's it. It's not just taking a Polaroid and showing your buddies at hunting camp anymore. It's all over. Everyone it can travels. see it. The internet's forever, you know? And, uh, and a lot more people are reached by it and a lot more people are touched by it. So, like I said, it's real easy to, for that one individual who could care less either way. No, I'm okay with hunters. I don't do it, but it doesn't bother me. You know, those there's a lot of people out there like that. I have ver- very close personal friends who are that way. Um, but, you know, they start seeing me putting up these pictures of these bloody animals laying on the ground. You know what I mean? It takes away from what the message should be. You know what I mean? We're, you know, I personally, I'd like to see it get away from the look at me, look at what I did to the, you know, this was the challenge. This is what I got from it. You know, th- this is a little bit more information to learn something about the animal that I just chased down. You know what I mean? And, and what did I contribute to the habitat? Maybe I'm getting a little too deep on it. Um, but, you know, if you take away the focus of the hunter and put it more on the process of the hunt. Right. Um, you know, the the landscape, the feeling of it, the, you know, um, it, it, again, it's a tough one to put into words. Uh, yeah, I've uh, I've got a story that, that relates to this. And a lot of people might not understand how how it relates, but I'll tell it. And and I think some people might be able to connect the dots on this. Uh, when I was in high school, it was tenth grade. I had a teacher who I'm trying to keep things pretty vague. Did not like my writing style. Okay. Now let me remind everyone. My mother was an English teacher, so, you know, I, I'm i a pretty strong writer. I, I had grammar driven into me from the day I was born, sure. essentially. So I, I'm, I'm a pretty good writer. I, I know I am. This specific teacher did not like my writing style, kind of gave me a hard time about it for a little bit, and... Uh, my mom took one of my papers and kind of analyzed what this teacher was saying and how she wanted things written. So we essentially got a sample of how the teacher liked her papers to be written. And it was essentially her style of writing. So my mom showed me this and she said, you need to mimic how this person writes essentially so i started doing that and it was it was a different style of writing it was very descriptive and it was over the top and it wasn't it wasn't how i would write a paper or how my mother would write a paper (laughs) let's say collectively we didn't agree on how she enjoyed reading things Mm -hmm. we'll say that I went ahead and wrote the paper in this style, and my grades improved. She she loved my papers, and all I was doing was mimicking her style. So, Play into the band. Exactly. You, as a community, we need to know our audience. Mm-hmm. You know, 
right to your audience. Where everything, like just what you said, everything is public, everything is out there. So you need to be a little bit cognizant of that. Sure. Just think about it before you post a picture of a turkey's brains blown all over a field. Just (laughs) think about it for one second. Is everyone going to enjoy this? Probably not. Right. Fan the turkey out, turn his head the other way. Great. Good Mm -hmm. for you. High five. Sure. But don't post a picture of a turkey's head blown apart. Yeah. Just don't do it. There's there's no need for that. Yeah. If you want to send it to your buddy in a private text message, great. If that's the kind of thing that will make you giggle to yourself. Sure. But don't post it for everybody. Right. You got to watch what you make public because it's not just hurting you. It's hurting all of us. You know, we're all going to suffer at some point because of it. Uh, and, you know, again, with the way things are going nowadays in, in, in modern society, we've we got a lot of people coming after us for absolutely zero reason. So, yeah. you know, they may have a difference of opinion on that zero reason uh, idea, but, you know, there's really no good reason for people to be coming after us the way they do. However, we give them ammunition, then that's on us. You know, so we really got to kind of be careful how we present ourselves. I mean, listen, I'm never going to apologize for being a hunter. No, but, you should uh, You know, I'm going to make sure that I don't put myself in a position where I have to apologize for one of my actions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect by any means. Yeah. Uh, I but, mean, you know, we all, you know, like you said, none of us are perfect. We all do you know, or make mistakes. Sure. From time to time. But... You know, try to portray yourself in the best light. Just think <laughs> before you press the submit button. Mm-hmm. I think that that's the, the biggest thing. If if we can collectively, as a community, realize that the things that we post are not in the best taste. Yeah. I, it, it's, and it's something where I know, excuse me, people are going to say, I shouldn't have to think about it. This is my right. I should be able to post what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, to an extent, they're right. But think about the implications. It's the consequence. You know what I mean? When you put yourself out there, you suffer the slings and arrows. You know yeah. what I mean? And that, that's what you have to think about. Like, yeah, sure, I can just say, screw it. I'm going to put it out because I don't care. But it's not all about you anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a community that you have to think about, and there's – that you know that you have to consider so uh you know don't want to beat it to death or anything like that but it's definitely something that i think if more people paid more attention to what they were putting out there for the general public to see again like you said you know you got a couple pictures you want to text your buddy hey check it out you don't have to you don't have to focus too much on it hey look i shot a turkey it's laying in the grass you take a picture and you send it i got one you mm-hmm. know that that's great um but you know once that starts getting out there for the general public to see um, that's when it starts to matter a little bit more. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to kind of take that initiative to, to put that out there. I think it's been, and I, and I actually, as a, uh, an example, I used a picture of my son when he got his first turkey. He was seven years old. Yeah, it's awesome a, picture. It's a pretty decent picture of him sitting in the grass with the landscape behind him, turkey fanned yeah, the out. the view is awesome. Yeah, it's, you know, I tried to make it, and, and it's something for him to be proud of also, you, you know, when you, he looks at that. You know what else is funny is that I remember where I was when he shot the turkey and when you sent me the picture. I was in Seneca Lake, 
and I told you I was going to post it, and I never did. So <laughs> this is the perfect time to post it. I'll post it with this podcast. It'll be the picture for this podcast. There you go. You can see what a tasteful picture it is. Yeah, and it, like I said, he looks at it. I have a picture. I have a copy of it on the side of my refrigerator that he looks at all the time. And um, I submit it. There's a, uh, a Facebook group that's uh, it's based on the Mentored Youth Program. Yeah. And they actually use that picture as their – you know, for for their group for a while, um, it made it on Pennsylvania Outdoor Life, like yeah, you know, it's told a beautiful the story, picture. and they put the picture up of him, and they told the story of his first turkey. So, you know, that's again, some people it doesn't matter what you do, it's gonna be they're gonna have a negative yeah. view on it, and you know, you, well, you those are the people you're all. not gonna win, right? So. You can't win them all. So, but you know, there was a you know, I had a lot of phone calls after, like, hey man, I saw your kid on Pennsylvania Outdoor Life, and it, it was a positive. I got a lot of positive feedback from it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. And that's what kind of got me thinking about it. Like, I could have, there were a couple of pictures that we took that were not as tasteful sure. because we were in a hurry. There was a lot going on. And um, we didn't post those because I thought, you know what? I got to think this through because not only am I involved in this now, I'm bringing my seven year old kid into this. Right. So I wanted to really think twice before I put something questionable out there with, you know, him tagged to it, if you will. Um, not that he has any social media. He's too young for that. Right. Uh, but the fact of the matter, he was involved in this situation, and I, I, I wanted to think it through before I did anything mm-hmm. like that. And that's what kind of spawned this whole post and this whole topic. And uh, so that was – he was seven years old. He's 10 now. So that gives me – this will be his fourth year. He'll be hunting turkeys. That's awesome. He's jacked. He cannot wait. Um, but, you know, it, it's every year, so this will be the fourth year that I'm posting it. No, I'm sorry, the third year that I'm posting it his fourth year hunting, but uh, I try to kind of keep it a consistent thing so that it, the message gets out there. Um, but And that's it. And it sets a good example for him and the next generation of hunters coming up. You know what I mean? Because he was involved in the whole photo shoot deal. I mean, I took a ton of pictures that day, obviously, yeah. it was my kid's first turkey, yeah. but, um, you know, and he was involved in the decision-making process of which one do you like better, and that's the one he picked. So that's what we went with. But, uh, you know, and, and that, that's, another, you know, kind of strays off into the whole getting a new hunter involved and and helping them to make the right decisions and exposing them to the right the right way of doing things right whether it's a kid whether it's a buddy who's never hunted before you know if you just grab a picture of them with a a bloody turkey or you take them out fishing and you know they're hanging a you know you got six trout on a stringer laying on a bank that doesn't look too good man you know but if that's what you show them is the norm that's what they're going to think is the norm that's right it might turn them off or it might create a bad habit for them. You know what I mean? So, and that's at the end of the day, what we're, what we need to do, we need to kind of leave a, not to say leave a legacy, but we got to leave our mark somehow. So if we can uh, turn some people on to doing it the right way from the get go, man, that's uh, it's kind of an admirable uh, yeah. attempt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about that. I mean, that was kind of the, the goal when I started Sons of the Hunt. Mm-hmm. I know we, we've talked Absolutely, about this before. Yeah you know, turning new people on to hunting. And, I mean, I, I kind of have the blueprint for if you're turning on a kid to hunting, turn on somebody else to hunting, you know, it. it's all, you know, it, it's tough. But uh, something that I can relate to that story, you know, I recently had my dad drop off uh, our photo album. And I say ours because, it, you know, there's a – it is – it's five or six inches thick. That's awesome. He dropped it off the other day, and I, I've been 
thumbing through it, and there's there's a post that I want to put up soon of a picture of me and him with the it was the first turkey. It I think I think it was probably the first time he took me in the woods, and we came out successful. Mm-hmm. And I remember every detail of it about us. You know, we we were hunting in the morning, and we didn't hear any any turkeys, and we we kept hunting, and, and we we sat down for a while, and we listened, and you know, it it taught me a lot of patience. But it was a, later in the morning that we got into this this bird that was gobbling and geez we walked had had to be over a mile two probably close to two miles we got back in this field way way back and i just remember he was on it was a long field it was a long narrow field and he was on the other side of it and it kind of peaked in the middle and we were on our stomachs crawling through this field and i was just i don't know maybe i was like nine Mm-hmm. eight or nine and i remember every detail crawling through this field and hearing the turkey gobble and it was getting closer and closer and eventually you know he we were on our stomachs and my dad was laying on his stomach and and he shot it i just remember everything about it and i remember the one thing though is i wanted to carry the turkey yeah and it, it's strange if you think about it like what what little kid wants to carry I just wanted to carry it, and I threw it on my back, and I, I had blood all over me. Mm-hmm. But there's no pictures in this album of me bloody or, or right, anything right, right. distasteful. I mean, it's just me and my dad with this beautiful gobbler and in our front yard yeah. and my little sister's in it. And That's a perfect example of, of how you start somebody. And look where, where it led you, you know what I yeah. mean? So you, you set the standard right out of the gate. For somebody who's new to it, and they're going to adapt that as gospel, so to speak. I mean, that's how you learn. I mean, I look back on how I learned the processes of some things, and I'm like, man, what the heck was I thinking? That was so way off. You yeah. know what I mean? But that's what I was exposed to, and those were the people I were around. Not that they're bad people by any means, but, you know, the whole if it's brown, it's down. I don't know how many times I've heard that term when I was out hunting with a group of sure. dudes. In, uh, at the moment, it's kind of funny. Ah, ha, ha, funny, funny. But uh, now that I think about it, I'm like, wow. You know what I mean? That's totally goes against the grain of everything I believe in right now. We you are know what I mean? and, uh, fighting that yeah. hard. <laughs> That's I, kind I, of why I brought it up, you know? Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, I, I, I came across that, was, that I was exposed to when I was beginning hunting that now I'd never dream of exposing somebody else to. Uh, again, nothing illegal or anything like that. Just questionable as far as... Uh, I don't know. It just it just wasn't something like I would never expose somebody to that now if I was getting them into hunting because I know better. Yeah. And and the thing is, things change. And that's the that's the straight out of it. Mm-hmm. You know the way hunting was at one time is not the way hunting is now. Right. And is it is it different? Yes. Is it worse? A lot of people want to say yes, mm-hmm. but it's I don't think it is. I think that there is a lot more research behind it now. Yeah. I think there's a lot more data that proves that this is, you know, it, it backs up the conservation aspect of it. Sure. So I, I say it all the time. You know, back when 
Pennsylvania was extremely overrun with deer. You know, people saw 30 deer a day, 40 deer a day, and they thought, this is, this is great. You know, this is a super healthy population, but it's not. It, it, it wasn't. Right. It's it, way over capacity. It's, and it, that's, it's a hard thing to make people understand. And I remember. Especially remem- hunters. You know, they're the toughest ones to convince. It, exactly. And the thing is, when, when I was studying ecology, I remember a lot of the concepts seeming backwards to me. Mm-hmm. Even even in biology, evolution, all, all, all the topics that I studied, it, it used to seem like things were backwards. Like, it, it didn't make sense right away. But the more it was explained to me, the more I said, oh, well, yeah, I guess that does make sense. If you have fewer members of a population, they can enjoy more resources. They will be stronger and healthier. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't really think of that. You think if you see... 30 deer you're like oh my god there's a ton of deer here this is awesome this is super healthy yeah it's not well that's it you know when they started to change up the 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 bag limits and the way we you know the the means of take and stuff like that uh back around turn of the century god it sounds funny even saying that yeah um but you know when when gary alt who was the um you know one of the main characters if you will in the pennsylvania game commission um when he started pushing for the whole antler restriction thing and uh you know he really did a lot of research which a lot of people don't realize is he did a lot of work with the the bear population in pennsylvania yeah. well he did that before, before the, antler, the restrictions. antler restrictions right and then he came out with the answer antler restriction thing and you know people wanted to run him out of town but and that just goes to show how how strongly rooted people are into their heritage and you know and that type of thing because once you start messing with what they're used to People take offense to that, regardless of the outcome or or the the reasoning behind what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. And he went through and he got that antler restriction thing passed. And man, it in my opinion, I and, and again, there's a lot of you know, research to back this up as well. It was very successful because when you 20%. you it, you increase the age of the the deer you're harvesting. Uh, you give more deer the chance. Well, you know, I don't have to tell most of you guys how that works, but yeah, you know, I mean, it just makes for a healthier herd. And then they opened up the doe season to uh, right from the get go. And now we've talked a little bit about the downside of that, um, but the upside of it was it really balanced the herd. When you introduce antler restrictions and then you start to take a lot of the doe out of the population, it really starts to make for a more balanced, healthier population. And he was very successful at that. And he ended up leaving anyway because uh, he's, he's got a lot of negative – he got a lot of flack for I, that. I couldn't imagine being in his position. I really can't. I, I wish – I would love to be able to, to talk with him mm-hmm. on a podcast. That would be unbelievable because what he has done, people don't realize <laughs> the impact that this one man has I had know. on our population. That Like – People still say, there's, you see posts constantly, oh, there's no deer in Pennsylvania? Well, what about this picture of 10 deer in a field? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and again, it's a and, very diverse <laughs> ecosystem, Pennsylvania, probably more diverse than uh, some other states in, you know, in our country, a lot of other states in our country. And uh, you, know, you have a lot of areas that are very, like look at Pittsburgh area. They're very close to a, a metropolis. 
it, you see some really big deer Monsters. coming out of that area. Yeah, Western then, PA is you know, and, Clarion County. A lot of the record book deer they come from Clarion, Clarion County, Clearfield County. Um, I know, know people people would get angry at me if I said it's because of Ohio, mm-hmm. and it really is because Ohio did a total one eighty, and it it was. Uh, it was Cossack who put so much money into their Department of Wildlife and their their game lands. I went out there and I scouted, what was it, two years ago, a piece of public land. And you wouldn't believe, it was just huge cornfields, yeah. clover. There were food plots all over. Like Everything was thriving. There was, there was a ton of waterfowl. I mean... You could just tell, like, uh, their environment is thriving. Yeah. You know? And I I don't know. Once you get into the, the political side... that's It's a slippery slope, man. That's kind of where I want to, uh, I don't know, pull away from. Yeah. But it, it, it all comes down to money, and it seems as if Ohio, as far as their regulations go and where their money is, they're doing it right. Look, look at the deer coming out of Ohio. Oh, it's amazing, especially the last decade. But then there's people who don't care. <laughs> there's people who just don't care about the caliber of the the animals. Mm-hmm. They just want to see a lot of them. And that's it. And it's not so much trophy class. You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys who are antler hunters and a lot of guys who can care less. But when you have a healthier herd, you have bigger doe. I'm a doe guy. I love to shoot doe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, we had this and, discussion. Yeah. yeah. And you can see. You can see. Now, again, I've been, this is going to be my 30th year hunting. I'm 42. I've been hunting since I'm 12. So I have a pretty large sample size to reference. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I was a kid, I could, I was 14 years old, 16 years old. I can drag a doe out of the woods by myself. Right. Now it's trickier. Now, granted, it's going to vary from, you, yeah. know, you know, everyone's uh, results may vary. But, uh, you know, I'm hunting similar farmland now. And uh, I had to pull a doe up a slight incline <laughs> two years ago, and I right. struggled. You yeah. know, she was way bigger than what I remember from That's being, kids. you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. You know what I mean? And, you know, here I'm 16 years old, dragging a doe through the woods, no problem. Now I have a, you know, I'm, I'm a full-grown man, and I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it, there's a noticeable difference. Now, granted, I, again, large sample size. But it's it, it, it just works, man. If you have a healthy herd, you have bigger stronger deer they're more resistant to the disease they're more resistant to any kind of severe weather which we have plenty of that here in pa yeah i mean look at this winter we've had it's a tough it climate started man. out mild and then we had how many weeks below ze- like below zero yep it was insane and then it froze the snow and then they yeah. were punching through the snow so, it, you know trying to find food in that i i can't imagine yeah it, it's it's tough but again people hunt for different reasons and that's it and they want to see a lot of deer, but I mean, I I, I think that all those arguments come up shallow. I, I really do because you know if you, if you're in a spot where you see deer, you're going to see deer regardless. It doesn't matter how many of them there are. They're going to use the same places. They're going to use the same travel patterns. They're they're going to be in the same place. Their if you see deer, a resource man, they're going to go for it. I mean, I'm at this the point now where I hunt three main properties and i'm not really going to go hang new stands at different places I, i've got it like i understand where the deer are they're going to keep moving through the same places no matter where it is right so the the people who are nervous about seeing less deer and this and that and i mean 
maybe, maybe you need to move 100 yards further in the woods. Sure. If you want the deer that bad, then you should have to go get it. I, I, it and that's part of that's part of the hunt. It's, that's why they call it, it the hunt. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird thing because you don't want to see people who have hunted all their lives and and are are settled into something not succeed anymore. Sure, sure. And and if they they're physically not capable, then you don't want to see them have an adverse effect. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah. It it's a tough thing. You you, you just really want to see is. everyone succeed and and get what they want out of it. Of course, that's what the, that's what it's here for. You know what I mean? I mean, we we all want to be successful, but you know, you, there's there's got to be a level of effort. You yeah. got to put a little work into it, and and it's a shame because I've I've had seasons where I busted my hump, man, and I put in a ton of work, and I and that's not always and I, I hesitate to say I got nothing out of it because. Let's just say I didn't have anything in my freezer at the end of it. Yeah, but you had an but, awesome time. That's it. I learned a tremendous amount, but that's what that's that's how I come at it. Yeah. Like, I don't come at it to if I'm not successful with a harvest, it doesn't mean I had an unsuccessful hunt. You know, if I learn something, I'm good. If I get out of the house, I'm happy with that. But you know, there's a lot of people who don't have a lot of time to spend in the field. So while they're out there, they'd like to be successful. So you want to see them get out of what they want. I mean, when they're putting their money down on that counter to buy that tag and to buy their license, there's an expectation there. That's, that's tough. That, that it really is. It's just, it's such a gray area Mm -hmm. because where, where do you draw the line with people who want to kill deer, but want to put in a limited amount of work? Right. I mean, those people still have a say. Of course, they're, they're, they're sportsmen. Mm-hmm. So, where do you where do you put them? Because then there's people who want to put in a ton of work, and they're still coming up short. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you put them? Okay. So, I mean, I, this is going to come right back to the same thing that we say every week. Everyone hunts for a different reason, right? And I don't think we're all on board with that yet. No, no, but I, I think that kind of comes down to setting the bar for people who listen to the podcast, people we have any sort of influence on uh, in our lives, people that I talk to all the time that I'm friends with that are hunters. And, you know, um, if we conduct ourselves in a certain uh, in a certain way, then they're going to kind of feed off that. And True. You know, so if we stride for that whole, listen, man, I got out today. I had a great hunt. I didn't get anything, but I saw deer. Or I saw, you know, I, there was one time I, I hunted this one property, and I was after this one specific deer. And I knew he was coming in, but, you know, he was more nocturnal. This is before trail cameras were really a big thing. Um, so I was hell-bent on trying to track down this one good deer. And I'd seen him a few times. I saw the rubs. I was convinced that I was, if I spend enough time there, I'm going to see him. Well, I spent a good seven days where I'd come in it from different angles and hunt the same area for seven days. Well, there was a couple of days where I spent in this tree where I saw this same squirrel every day, this same squirrel up and down this down tree, you know, doing its thing, getting ready for winter. Well, I'm in my stand one day and this squirrel ran down that tree and I just caught the glimpse of a shadow above me. And by the time I looked up, I'd missed it. But when I looked back down, the owl was already on that squirrel. You know what I mean? And it was one of those things that if yeah. I wasn't in that tree at that moment on right. that day, I never would have seen that. So yeah. that was a success to me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I saw I saw something crazy like that yeah. that you don't see outside of television. You know what I mean? So 
telling stories like that and having that kind of impact on those around us, I think will go a long way in trying to change the, the attitude on the, if I don't get a deer, I failed. If I don't get out there and see a bunch of deer, I had a crap day. You know what I mean? It's getting out and seeing different things, learning something. You find a new rub. Uh, you find, you know, uh, you go out messing around, hunting squirrels in the second season, you come across a shed. Stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's little things that you have to count as small wins. Um, you know, you're not always going to come out of every season with a 140, 150-inch buck. Yeah, definitely not. come out with two or three doe <laughs> and a turkey or whatever. Yeah. You might have a great experience with a close friend. Uh, you might be able to introduce a family member to the outdoors. There's all these small wins that we can uh, build up to a successful season that yeah. don't necessarily have to be your standard success story, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I I will always hunt to put something in the freezer. Sure. Because you always have the available resources to do that. Mm -hmm. If it's not a buck, you've probably got two doe tags. They all taste the same, brother. You'll probably have at least one. (laughs) I know that. And I'll tell you what, man, I I will fill both those doe tags every year, and I will fill a turkey tag, and I will definitely get a fall turkey, go shoot a hen. Sure. That's a great opportunity to shoot a hen. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and it's it's delicious meat. Absolutely. So go, amazing. So go get it. Like, That's it. it. Amen to that. It's out there. But that was an awesome wrap-up. Indeed. I agree. I'm uh, I'm glad you put it the way you did because that is uh, – it, it was also true. And uh, I think that we've uh, covered – Pretty good. Quite a bit this pretty evening. Good, pretty a good bit. amount. Yeah, we, we've gone from self-filming mm-hmm. right down to conservation, which it seems like we we usually end up there. But uh, One way or another, that's all right. And that's what it's about, though, man. That's the end That's the end game for all of us. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense because that's really what this is. Mm-hmm. And uh, we try to explain that. <laughs> we've. Exp- I know you and I have explained that recently sure. in, in some posts and... Uh, it's important to know that's it. We got to we got to build our numbers, and we have to support each other, and we have to try and uh, paint ourselves in a positive light as many opportunities as we have to do so. Because uh, the world is watching. The yep. world is watching. Everyone's watching all the time, though, and that that's 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 a big thing to ju- to just keep in the back of your mind before you post something on on Facebook or Instagram Absolutely. or whatever Please. it is that you're posting. On. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're asking nicely. Yeah. But with that, we will wrap it up. Happy Easter to everyone. Absolutely. This happy is, Easter, folks. It actually is Easter right now. It is 12.59 a.m. Easter Sunday. Indeed. I hope I don't bump into the Easter Bunny on my way home. Yeah. He, it w- I thought that Aldo was after the Easter Bunny on the porch <laughs> out there, but it was just a possum trying to get in the house. It's hilarious. I wish we were filming that. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty comical story for sure. Yeah. But we're going to wrap it up. This is enough of us rambling. We hope you enjoyed it. Please, please, please try to leave us some kind of feedback. I would love to talk about something that listener. Sure, whatever interests you, let us know. We'd love to kind of touch on some topics. Uh, you know, follow Sons of the Hunt on Facebook, uh, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Uh, it's always uh, Mark's always putting cool content up that way. Neat little teaser reels and stuff like that. So there's always something out there. So check it out. Yep. And on Jay's end, Hunservation, 
BlackRock. Indeed. On both our ends, PA bow hunting. Just we've got lots of ways to see our social media antics. Yeah. So with that, we will wrap it up. Thanks for listening to another episode, and we will catch you soon. Peace.